Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. Everybody, John chapter 8, verse 12. It says here that Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Look at your neighbor and let them know that Jesus is the light of the world. He who, walk, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, I have the light of life. Turn with me, if you will, go to the book of John. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 5. And the reason I'm doing this is I just want to put some context out there so we can make sure that we're all on the same page and have a same understanding. You know, it's very important that we know what Jesus said and who Jesus said that He is. Amen? Come on, there's many philosophies, there's many thought patterns out there that may say that Jesus was a lot of things, but I want you to know that Jesus said He was the Son of God. Jesus said He was the light of the world. He says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no man comes to the Father except through me. Come on, as the church of, uh, of this modern day, this is a very important message, and we, ver- we need to grab hold of these things. Everybody, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Come on, how many of you can agree with me here this morning to say that we live in a world that is not comprehending the light of Jesus Christ? Come on, there's a, this, we live in a dark age, a dark time, and I believe that even now that people's minds are being darkened. They're being darkened by just the, the lies and deceptions of, of different scientific philosophies. I don't say science, it's not science, it's scientific philosophies. They're being, they're being, it's being darkened by, by governments, it's being d- darkened by ideologies. Come on, even, even our very constitution is being turned against us and being turned against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say Amen. I'm going to need some help preaching this morning. If I lose my voice, y'all just go for it, okay? Jesus is the light of the world. <clears throat> Come on, have you ever thought about a person who was born blind and trying to explain to him what light is and what light looks like? Come on, they, have, they walk in a constant state of darkness. You can't explain light. You have to experience it. Come on, I believe that the true light of Jesus Christ comes into the experience of salvation through Him. Come on, when we begin to look and and, and have our way in another direction than what we were in the past. Come on, we were walking in darkness. Come on, I lived that lifestyle of alcoholism. I lived that lifestyle of homelessness. I lived that lifestyle of feeling sorry for myself. But when I begin to live in the light of Jesus Christ, I want you to know I begin to see things differently. Come on, I I was able to go into the prisons. I was able to go into the streets. I didn't see broken and, and, and broken people. I saw children of God who were created in the image and likeness of our, of our Creator. Come on, how many of you realize you begin to see things through the light of Jesus? Jesus never saw a broke person. He saw someone who was bound by sin and darkness. Come on, Jesus wants to set somebody free here this morning. Can you believe me this morning? 
A few of us believe in that. I believe it. The light shines, darkness cannot comprehend it. Come on, when I got saved, I remember telling my friends and talking in these conversations, they're like, Joe, you're crazy. I'm like, no, man, you're, I'm not, nobody's crazy. You're just deceived. I want you to know that I follow Jesus with all my heart. Come on, even as we talk about giving here this morning, Doc, you're saying that it's, it's, it's a, re, a re, miraculous account that takes place. When we begin to give of ourselves, our tithes and our offerings, God begins to pour out His blessings upon us. I've, I've lived it too many times. It's, a, it's not a law that follows common economics. It's a law that follows the kingdom of heaven. Come on, as we give, we receive. He, he is our blessing. Why? Because He gives us the desires of our heart. Well, our very desires begin to change. I didn't desire big houses and BMWs anymore. Come on, I just wanted to see lives changed by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. But when, see, the thing is, is that Jesus is the light of the world, and we believe that. When Jesus walks into the room, what comes into the room with Him? Light. The light comes into the room. How many of us, we try to bring into a dark place, we try to bring arguments, our logic, our reason, our goodwill into the place? Come on, the darkness can't comprehend that. We need to bring the light of Jesus Christ and the salvation that He brings with Him. Come on, it begins to reveal some things. Jesus walks into the room. He walks into our situations. He walks into our pain. He walks into our suffering. And He begins to reveal the truth in it. I want to read a story out of the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And I want to encourage you, with, if you're here this morning, to stick with me. Pay attention. We're, gonna, we're going somewhere. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, we're going somewhere. Okay, we're good. I've got to preach until that baptismal's full, okay? <laughs> if you turn, I'm uh, just telling you. So, by the way, uh, while we're kind of, where are you turning there? Uh, how many of y'all noticed the big pile of dirt in the front? Of the, yeah, some, some of y'all noticed, if you haven't noticed. So what that is, is you know, we're, we're making some preparations, just so that way you're aware. Uh, it, we're put, upgrading our plumbing. We're actually uh, putting in more of a commercial-style kitchen uh, and sinks and stuff like that in the, in, over there in the, in the warehouse. And also repairing our sewage system in the back, right? We've got a 12,000-gallon-per-day sewage treatment plant. Very big and massive because, as many of you know, that this place was built to, to operate as a school. So, uh, so, and having said that, we have a big sewage tank, right? And it's very expensive, and it has to be upgraded and all that stuff. So we're getting all that stuff running. So that's what the big pile of dirt is, amen? So that's what if you're, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but also, this year, I just believe that God is beginning to stir up some things, that He's beginning to stir up even the ground in the front of the, front of the church. And, uh, you know, we, as many of y'all drove in here this morning, and you could see that our parking lot, the gravel parking lot, is kind of in the back. We're looking and praying and believing that God is going to begin to do some miraculous things and put our parking lot in the front of the building, amen? With some lights and asphalt and all that nice stuff, and then, you know, complete the lobby space, then kind of come in through here. So, anyway, we'll share more about that, but that's what the dirt's about, just in case to, just to kind of quench your curiosity, amen? Everybody mark three, one through five. Say amen if you made it. It says, and he, just as Jesus, entered the synagogue. Man, when Jesus walks into the room, Again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. That's being the Pharisees and the scribes. And whether he, would, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man, 
who had the withered hand stepped forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around to them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Well, could you look at your neighbor and say, Stretch out your hand? I want you to just keep that in your thought. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. When we live in a world here today where the church, is, the question is, is the church really invading the world, or is the world invading the church? Come on, you walk into the very synagogue, Jesus walks into this synagogue, and he sees a man there who has a withered hand. I want you to know that that man was, was very faithful in his attendance. He was there even in his own brokenness, and even in his own shame. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what that represents But the question I have for you here this morning is, is the gospel, has the gospel lost its effectiveness in our world today? The next question I would have you ask is, has the church lost its effectiveness in the world today? Come on, I want you to know it's not good enough that we come in here on Sunday mornings and just begin to lift up the name of Jesus. We can have the best worship team, the best preaching, we can have some awesome buildings and facilities, but if we're not taking the gospel out into the streets to the lost and seeing people's lives saved, changed, discipled, if the Bible says to go into all the world preaching the gospel, making disciples, come on, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, well, that is our charge, that is our mandate from God, and I believe that that's what we're called to do as a church, Amen. To answer those questions, I believe that no, the gospel has not lost its effectiveness. And I believe that no, the church has not lost its effectiveness. Come on, I can have a a Porsche 911 parked in the garage, and as long as it's sitting in there, it's it's still effective if somebody gets in it and drives it, right? But God is waiting for someone to take that charge here this morning. God is waiting for someone to step out in faith. I believe that God wants to use this generation to impact the world and restore its strength and its effectiveness. I believe that God is calling a generation here in this time. But as we look here, we see that, that, that Jesus walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and many of y'all have an understanding of the Sabbath to be what? It's, the, it's Saturday. At, at that time, that Jewish Sabbath was on a Saturday. And God established the, Saturday, the, the Sabbath. In, in Exodus 28, you don't have to go there, I'm going to read a few verses. It says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. God is very thorough in his explanation. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You see, the, Jewish had, had, the Jews had created a culture built around a seven-day work week, and they began to say, we're going to work for six days, and on the seventh day, we're going to have our rest. That's because that's the model that God had laid out. That's the mandate that God gave to Moses when he established the law. But I want you to know that the law wasn't given, so that way we can follow it on into eternity. The law was given to point us to Jesus Christ. In fact, it says that the law is like a schoolmaster, that the law points us, everything about the law points us to Jesus But you see, as soon as Jesus came, I want you to know, He came to do what? Fulfill the law. Mark 2, 27 through 28, And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. 
Throughout, throughout Scripture, Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man. You see, what's interesting to me is you have a person there that has a very apparent need, a person with a withered hand, and then they walk into, Jesus walks into the room, and all the people there, all that religious, the Pharisees and the scribes, they begin to say, I wonder if He's going to do, if He's going to break the Sabbath to help someone else. I want you to think about that mindset. Think about what it would take for someone to say, I see someone's pain, but I don't want to reach out to them because of this reason or that reason, because they haven't given their hearts to Jesus yet. I want you to know that it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's not waiting for us to clean up our lives so that way he can clean up our Come on, he wants us to come to him as he, as we are, just as I am. They were interested in trying to trap Jesus. Come on, think about that. Jesus is walking on this earth. He's doing miraculous things. He's healing the sick. He's teaching those. He's giving great teachings. He had great following. All they can find is some little minuscule thing that they can try to trap them in. Well, you can't do any work on the Sabbath, so you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't restore life on the Sabbath. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't come to serve the Sabbath. He came to serve mankind. How many of you know that it said, Jesus says in His Word that we're not meant to serve the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is meant to serve man. I, I, want you, I say all these things. I just want to put a seed into your mind right now. I want you to begin to think about that concept. How many of us just live our lives waiting for Sunday to come do something for Jesus? Come on, we wait and we elevate Sunday as this Sabbath day. I want you to know that we wake up every single morning in the presence of the Father. He's not, he doesn't, doesn't require us just to pray for one another on Sunday. Come on, he's, a, he's available for us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You see, the Sabbath was just intended to point us towards Jesus. I'm going to come back to this. But right now, I just want to kind of speak a little bit prophetically, if that's okay. I believe as I was just in prayer over these past couple of days that God began to tell me that He was raising up a Daniel generation. He was raising up a Daniel generation. You know, we live in a dark world where even the church has become a little bit legalistic in its non-legalism, if that makes any sense. We've become so far one way that we kind of lose track of everything. Where's the balance? But we're living in a prophetic generation, not just a generation that's willing to do Daniel fasts. Come on, but they're willing to pray Daniel prayers. Come on, they're willing to have Daniel faith. Come on, as I was just sitting there, I believe that, that God would have us to, to wake up and to begin to, prophet, to begin to get into the Word of God like never before, that God is raising up a generation of Daniels. Those who, who aren't going to come into condemnation against governments. How many of you know... Daniel served a wicked king. And God used him in that. But he never, in that, he never compromised his character. Come on, God, Daniel spent time in his word. He spent time in prayer. He spent time in fasting. He spent time in, in, in just constant communion with the Father. Why? Because so that God can speak to him. And God began to allow him to speak prophetically to kings and magistrates. And, and he began to find favor with them. Come on, I believe that God is raising up a Daniel generation who are going to begin to seek after the things of the Lord and they're going to begin to, to proclaim and declare in the public realm the things of God. 
and they're going to begin to turn the tide of this wicked generation. Come on, I don't believe that things are going to get ever, ever worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. I believe that God is raising up a people. It says that his church was founded on, uh, as, as we build our, our, tr- our church upon the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, it says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on, how many of you know when we begin to build our churches on the Word of God, that things begin to shake, that mountains are torn down? Well, I, we can't legislate our way out of evilness. We can't vote our way out of evilness. I'm not saying don't go vote. What I'm saying is vote, but begin to pray, begin to prophesy, begin to build relationships, begin to speak to those people who are in, who have authority, begin to be that prophetic voice. I believe that God is raising up that generation that's going to usher in the presence of the father. You see, Daniel was the generation that, that led them out of captivity. Come on, I believe that even now our, we have a a captive mindset here in the United States that we just feel like as a church that our allegiance comes first to the United States. I want you to know that as a born-again believer that our allegiance comes first to Christ. And in that, our allegiance comes to the United States. These are bold statements, but they're true. You see, Daniel was never afraid to step out and declare truth whenever falsehoods were being proclaimed. Come on, there's a generation today, you can see it on their faces. Kids that are fearless. They're fearless and they're mighty. Come on, they need the Word of God. They need the Word of God. Come on, church, are we going to begin to teach our, this next generation to be overcomers and conquerors? So that they can pray Daniel prayers, Daniel faith, have Daniel results. I believe that God is calling this generation out of the deceptions of Babylon. The comforts of Babylon. We were looking at Mark 1 through 3. I believe that 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 man who had the withered hand that was there in in the synagogue represents this generation. I believe that that man represents this generation. That generation that's that hand has been withered. Come on, how many of you know what the hand really represents? It represents our strength. It represents our abilities. It represents our worship. I remember when I was, uh, me and Shannon first got married, I had had, uh, had a little bout of um, uh, anger, maybe, and decided to punch a wall. And uh, this was many years ago, and uh, the wall was stronger than my hand. I broke a knuckle. And, uh, you know, you don't go around getting angry and punching stuff. I don't do that anymore. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, you justified in the name of Jesus at salvation, but there's still a process of sanctification that comes. Come on, just because you've been in church, I want you to know you're just, if you, if you got saved today, you're just as saved as me. Come on, you may not have a suit and sanctified and living right, but you're just as saved as me, man. Come on, you got a place right there at the right hand of the Father. Come on, there's no more holier than thou. Amen. But at that time, my sanctification was kind of lacking, right? I was still learning. I punched the wall. I punched my right hand. And I remember having to go to work that next day, and I had my hand was in a cast. And, man, it was like, it was life-changing. My effectiveness wasn't there. My ability to do things wasn't there. Come on, that just made me think about this withered hand. What does that word withered mean? It means it's wasting away. It means it's dry. Do I believe that Jesus walked into a synagogue and literally healed a man with a withered hand? Yes. 
But in the, in the spirit, I believe that there's a generation of, of people, there's a generation of, of churchgoers who have withered hands, who, have, who their strength, their power, their authority has just been withered away. That word withered just means wasting away or become dry. What causes things to become withered? Well, if you look in Matthew 13, 6, it says, But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no roots, they withered away. I believe that we're raising up a generation of people, of young people, who have no roots in the Word of God. And when adversity begins to come, what they have just begins to wither. See, our roots can sustain us through the dry season. Just as a tree that's planted close to water or a tree in the wintertime, I want you to know, all the leaves can be gone, but the roots are still healthy. They're tapped into their source. Come on, that man in, in, in the synagogue, he represents a generation of people who their authority, who their strength, who their power, who their very identity has withered away because they've lost connection with their roots. They've lost connection with the Word of God. They've lost connection with Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, if we don't have roots, we lack moisture. And if we lack moisture, our fruit begins to dry up. Come on, how many of you have ever seen a withered tree? It does not produce fruit. You know, many of our generation are even living a withered lifestyle because they're cursed and not bearing fruit. Matthew 21, 19, And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, this is Jesus, and found nothing on it, no fruit, but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Come on, how many of our young people have just been told that they're not good enough? Well, they don't have what it takes. Well, if only you would have faith, you would be healed. I want you to know that if only you have faith, you'll be healed. But I want you to know, sometimes that's not immediate. Come on, how many of us have been encountered with people who have just squelched everything that we try to do in faith? Come on, again, it's not about perfection, it's about obedience. Come on, when when the church begins to walk in obedience to the Father, the life begins to come back. Come on, I believe that this, this generation is being withered away because it lacks the roots that are coming from the generation previous. That we need to rise up as a church and begin to sow and invest in this next generation because I believe that God is raising up a generation of Daniels. Generation of those who are going to go into, the, into the, our communities and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're going to reach this generation and the next generation and the next generation. But somebody needs to begin to water the roots. Somebody begins to need to speak blessings instead of cursings. I don't want to hear another person say anything negative about generation X, generation Z, generation Y this or Y that. I don't really care. I just believe that there's a young generation that need life spoken into them. That they are more than enough. That they're conquerors in Jesus Christ. That they're blessed. That they're overcomers. I'm going to turn it up. There we go. It's just not as warm if it's low. Hi, I mean, I'll be here preaching all day. Come on, I believe we have a generation that's withered away. What does the hand represent? A withered hand. I believe that that hand represents access. Come on, it represents fellowship. How many of us realize that our hand, the first thing we extend to other people is what? Our hand. 
In Galatians 2.9, it says that we give each other the right hand of fellowship. It says in the book of Luke, in fact, telling the same story, that it wasn't just any withered hand, it was the man's right hand. That his fellowship was broken. Come on, I believe that as God is raising up this generation, that we need to be a church that is trying to connect intentionally with our next generation. That we need to begin to extend that right hand of fellowship. That we need to strengthen their hands. That hand represents our strength. It says that, that it talks about an old scripture many times that the hand of God fell upon them and began to do great and mighty works. I don't think that it was actually a hand that came down. It's speaking metaphorically of the hand. Well, the hand physically represents strength. The hand metaphorically represents authority. Come on, how many of you realize that that withered hand lacks authority? It lacks strength. God's might is represented in the hand. His power to heal, His authority, His purpose is in our hands. In Acts 7, uh, 749-50, they're quoting Psalms 102, it says... Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? The hand of God is holy and mighty, and God calls us to worship our Creator, not the created. Or the things that were created by the hands of men. Come on, I believe that this man, his ability, because he had this withered hand, that his ability to worship God was broken. His ability to worship God was limited. Why? Because he had no strength in that hand. He had no power in that hand. He had no authority in that hand. And as a matter of fact, those religious ones that were there around him were even willing to say, let's see if Jesus is going to do anything about that because it's Sunday. Come on, how many of us have had that opportunity to bless someone, but we say, well... Maybe because they just live in this alcoholic lifestyle, you know, we're going to see, let God work on them. I believe that we need to speak life into people. We need to speak truth. We need to speak peace. We need to strengthen the withered hands. That we need to begin to invest roots into those, this next generation. You know, many times in in the New Testament, Jesus, it says that he was moved with compassion. And he did what? He laid hands on the sick. That hand represents compassion. You see, but it represents so much more. You see, the problem in this story, Mark 1 through 5, is that, Mark 2, 1 through 5, it says that, that Jesus walked into the room and what they were more concerned with was the law of the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath himself. You see, the the Sabbath was given as a representation of what was coming. God said to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I want to look in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. You see, I think that God wants us to get our focus off of His law and begin to put our focus on His grace. 
that the grace of God is founded in Jesus Christ Himself. Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering in His rest, this is the Sabbath, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short. It goes on to say that the, that the, the Sabbath day was given in verse 4, says, For He had spoken of a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day. You see, God established the Sabbath. Verse 5, it says, And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. So he's saying, you entered into the promised land. That wasn't the rest I was talking about. You entered into... See, they were observing the Sabbath in the wilderness. I'm just trying to communicate a point. They were observing the Sabbath. See, but it never was fulfilled. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus says that He didn't come, that man isn't... The Sabbath wasn't created for man to serve it, but to serve... Sabbath. Jesus says that I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You see, what I want to communicate to you here this morning is that whenever the, we begin to say Sunday is our Sabbath, Saturday is our Sabbath, and for the Jews, that time is the Sabbath, that we, we spend this time to enter into His rest because it's a certain day. But when Jesus was on the cross, He said what? It is finished. I want you to know that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4.10-11 For he who has entered his rest was himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Jesus said it is finished. He ceased from his work. Everything that was needed to be done was done. Now we can enter into his rest, into his promise, into his fulfillment. It says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. You see, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The the Pharisees and those scribes, they were more concerned when Jesus walked into the room, the Sabbath walked into the room. Come on, as we begin to observe, remember the Sabbath, we remember Jesus. And He is holy. We can walk in an ever-present state of Sabbath rest when we walk in Jesus. Well, how many of you want to walk in that rest of the Lord? You see, the real thing is, is right here. See, the hand in Jesus, how many of you know Jesus didn't speak Greek? The Bible was written, the New Testament was written in, in Greek. Jesus didn't speak Greek, He spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. You see, the Hebrew word for hand is yod. You see, look at your neighbor and say, yod. Got about like this far left. I'm not, I'm not stalling or anything. I'm really not. I believe that this is an important point that God really wants me to share this morning. And this is just going to build your faith. You see, Jesus, He looked at that man and with the understanding that Yod, and then the, there's a Hebrew word that's Yada. Jesus looked at that man, He said, stretch out your hand. I'm going to look at your neighbor and say, stretch out your hand again. If you look in the Old Testament, all over the book of Psalms, he says, praise the Lord, give Him thanks, for He is worthy. I want you to know that that word there is yada. That word there, yada, is interpreted praise. 
You see, Jesus didn't just look at that man and say, stretch out your hand. He looked at that man and He said, Yada. He said, begin to praise who? Me. You see, just because Jesus healed a man, I don't think that's worthy of crucifixion. I want you to know that Jesus looked at that man and said, you begin to stretch out that withered hand. You begin to stretch out that broken promise. You begin to stretch out your weakness and I will make you strong. You begin to yada me. You begin to worship me. You begin to stretch your hands towards me and I will give you strength. We are living in a generation of Daniels who are going to worship the true God, Jesus Christ, who are going to yada, who are going to be a, a voice of praise, a voice of repentance, a voice of restoration in this generation. Come on, that's worth getting excited about. I want you to know Jesus is saying to you here this morning, yada, he's saying, praise me, extend, extend your hand, stretch out your hand. You see, there's many words for praise in, in that Hebrew language. They don't just say praise. We say praise. But they say, I mean, there's many words. Halal, yada, barak, and many others. Many of them can mean to bow the knee, to stretch out the hand, to shout with a loud voice. Come on, to lay prostrate on the ground. I want you to know here this morning that there are people here in worship. They may shout Jesus on the top of their lungs. They may lay prostrate on the floor. They may dance and they may shout. It's not just because they're weird or strange. I want you to know because Jesus has done the miraculous in their life. Well, Jesus has restored their withered hand. He took something that's broken and made it useful. He restored their strength, their purpose, their dignity. I want you to know that as we begin to say, maybe, God, you don't want to use me. I want you, Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use you in your, weaken, in your weakness. He wants to use you in your, in your pain, in your, stre- in, your, in your suffering. Well, he wants to use a broken alcoholic, drug addict, But what do we have to do? We don't just go hide in that. That's our withered hand. This next generation, I want to talk to you that God is calling you to this next level with Him. Come on, it's not just about coming to church on Sunday. He wants you to live in an ever-present state of His presence. He wants you to begin to cultivate a life of worship. He wants you to cultivate a life of prayer. He wants you to cultivate a life of fasting. He wants you to segregate yourself from your friends. Why? Because he wants to use you to speak to kings. He wants to use you to speak to presidents, to diplomats. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come up. And if if those getting baptized here this morning, if you can make your way, we're going to get ready. That word yada means to throw, to shoot, to cast. It means to give thanks or to confess. Come on, how many of you know you can't, that man with that withered hand, he had this deformity that he probably held it kind of secretly, right? Because he didn't want nobody to see that. Jesus says, yada me. Worship me. Stretch out your hands towards me and I will give you strength. This is exactly what baptism represents. You know, baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It says in baptism, as we, as we are bare, put under the water, that our old self has died to that sin. It's representative of death. I've baptized a few people. I've never seen anybody actually die under the water. But I want you to know, representatively, whenever you give your heart to Jesus, you die to your old self. Come on, that man walked out of that synagogue restored in Jesus' name. He didn't keep saying, well, I I like my withered hand, man. I didn't have to work because of that thing. Come on, I got all my, my social security is going away now. 
I'm going to lose my, my, my welfare check. Come on, no, God gave him and restored his ability to work. Restored his dignity, his strength, his purpose. Yada, stretch out your hand. Jesus is our Sabbath. Well, we're not, we, it's not, we don't come to church on Sunday because we worship the Sunday. Come on, we don't come to church on Sunday because we worship the building that we're in. Come on, we don't come to church on Sunday because we love each other. Well, we do. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling together of one another. We love you. You love us. It works out great. But we come for one reason, to yada. That man had a, a revelation. Jesus gave us a revelation that in the synagogue, our main purpose, our main function is to yada, is to praise, is to confess, is to give glory to Jesus and Him alone. Jesus. Right now, if you just feel that, that God is just touching you, that God just, that, that He's beginning to reveal to you. I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit can just begin to reveal to you those things that, that have withered away in your life. Those things that you feel like, because of this, Lord, I can't serve you. Lord, because I've done this, people may think a certain way. I, I may have disqualified myself from ministry because, because of the people I've slept with in my past. Man, don't you know that the blood of Jesus Christ wipes us white as snow? That when we give our hearts to Jesus, like I said, you're just as saved that that moment of salvation you believe in your heart, confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That is the requirement. God makes all things new. It says in His Word, Behold. He says, and he says all things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. That man stretched out his hand new it was useful it wasn't shameful this generation of Daniels I believe that God is calling out God wants to strengthen the withered hands we hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging if you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.